Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go. Indie Game Business. everybody to our uh, talk today. We're talking about a, a fantastic science game, cell biology game, and um, um, I don't know the name of our talk, actually. I have all of our notes and no name of the talk. Beata, um, please introduce yourself and say the name of your game, say the name of our talk, please. <laughs> yes, and it should also be visible right now. We are sharing some slides. The title of the talk is Communicating Science Through Play. Oh, fantastic. Yes, that is the talk I'd agreed to moderate. Thank you. So uh, we're going to talk about um, science, complicated, fun science. And first, I'm going to introduce all of us. So um, I'm Melanie Stegman. I had nothing to do with making this game. My claim to fame is I made a game prior to this called Immune Defense. It's also about cells. And it's also legit fun science video game. Thank you for this slide. This is very helpful. <laughs> And um, friends of mine found out that Beata was making a science game and they all said, oh my goodness, you guys have to meet each other. So now we are really great friends, of course, because you know, all of us science game devs are really great friends. So um, I'm here to introduce these fantastic people to you who got together and made a science game. They're gonna tell you more about all the details like funding and the roles they played, but I am just gonna um, uh, quickly try to introduce them I'm trying to see their faces and names and all the things I'm supposed to say about them. Um, Dr. Beata Mizirwa, who I, she is a scientist, okay? And she's a postdoc right now, which means she's got her PhD already in cell biology. And she's working in another lab, training even more. And um, uh, she can tell you more details, actually, what, what she's actually doing. But um, for all of you out there, she didn't know how to make video games and knew how to uh, cure cancer. <laughs> so um, her partner here is a uh, uh, science. I don't have my actual notes. This is a uh, Matthew Cooney. Cooney. I'm saying everything wrong. I'm sorry, guys. He served as game designer and um, and, uh, and basically project manager for this whole project. Then there's Michael Butler, served as a Unity game developer. Excellent person with lots of skills as a Unity developer and pulled everything together, making all of the dreams function. Then uh, Jamie Van Dyke is the um, composer, as you can tell by the guitar. And I have stumbled through your introductions and not said everything about all the talent that you bring to this project. But what I do wanna stress to everyone is that 
making science games is very attractive prospect and you attract really fantastic, great people when you come to them and say, I have a tiny bit of funding. Would you like to jump into this project that's really neat and different? It's a game played in a, a new kind of imaginary world. So with that, I'm gonna let everybody start talking about themselves with our answer to our first question. So um, start with you guys, Beata and Matthew. What game? Oh, the intro, yes, the game. <laughs> okay, Brilliant. so let's play the trailer before we start. All right, so. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. So um, now you know what we're talking about, everyone. Uh, a puzzle game uh, that takes place inside of a cell. With um, We're on schedule for our first question. Let's go with it. What games are you playing right now, everyone? Beata? Should I start? Yeah, so yeah. I think I have to I have to mention two of them. <laughs> so we really enjoyed playing Greece and Gorogoa. Those are both amazing indie games and they have really unique visuals and create this really amazing immersive worlds. So I wanted to do a, sh a shout out for these games. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I've been playing with Beata as well, the game Never Alone, which is unbelievable game, amazing visuals, it's cooperative. Um, it's made in collaboration with the indigenous community and it's just, unbelievable and also has some great learning in it as well awesome the indie game i've been playing recently is timberborn it's a uh colony management game uh, about beavers it's pretty great <laughs> still in early access unfortunately but high hopes for it jamie uh the game i've been playing is thanks to beata and matthew uh using it as a reference for this game uh samaras 3 absolutely beautiful beautiful music and um, yeah, definitely a inspiration for a lot of aspects of uh, Microscopia, I would say. That's cool. I've been playing uh, Cluster Truck. 
<laughs> I'm teaching students beginning game dev and uh, cluster tech is a really great example of like some really simple game mechanics that are really fun to keep playing. All right, all right. So um, we're gamers, we're scientists, we're also um, composers. So let's get started. So um, if you make a you make a science game, you know, you're trying to explain to people uh, what happens inside of a cell. And obviously all that's happening inside my cell without anybody else doing anything. So what role does the player play? You know, what conflict is there? What's what's missing? How do you how do you take a system that works just fine on its own and give the player something to do in there? Beata? Great question. Yeah, I love that. I love starting with that. I think um, for us, this is something that we really enjoyed exploring because with me having a background in molecular biology and basic research, I realized that so much of the magic of all the things that make life possible completely gets lost when you look at a textbook. So we have, you know, these diagrams of cells where you have an empty cell with, with some arrows drawn inside of it. And I think it's a really big misrepresentation because in reality, all of those processes are incredibly intricate. They are all dynamic and everything where everything interacts with each other. And so you can't just make a simple schematic to capture all the beauty and the complexity of all the amazing things that are happening inside of ourselves. So actually for us, turning these biochemical processes into puzzles was really easy because the biological mechanism itself is already so exciting that it helped just determine the game me mechanics. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to have the player act as a catalyst to make these reactions run smoothly. So for example, in the cell, you have these motor proteins and they move along, along this network of tubes that transport things from one side to the other. And these motor proteins literally walk by taking one step after the other. That's, that's a thing that people have found out in biology. And, and every step is powered by a biological, like a biochemical reaction. And so the role of the player is to move the correct molecules to the correct positions to power every single step and catalyze the reaction. So it was actually funny because it felt so much closer to the way we as scientists think about these processes in our research. And having those interactive puzzles was a really great way to show the dynamic nature and show the aliveness of the world inside of our cells. Awesome. Did you want to say anything, Matthew, about making these game mechanics work? Well, yeah, I mean, it just it made it really fun to design the puzzles because there's enough information in the models and descriptions that we're able to look at all of these really cool processes in detail and then get like the essence of what the process is and then toy around with how we can gamify it. Um, so at the same time, you know, these processes aren't seen by most people and they aren't understood down to the you know, little finite details. So we could put a lot of creativity in and how we want to portray everything while still having such a good biological base as to how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I hear you saying you're starting from uh, an understanding that scientists have about what's happening, like a model. And then you, you take that model that we have. It might not be reality because really, I mean, who knows what those electrons are up to down there in the cytochrome C <laughs> protein, but we have a model and scientists are using that. And we can let other people share our model by letting them solve a puzzle that is true to that model. You with you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love science games. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So when you're making it a you know educational game, you you uh it's like you're working in a world with a whole lot of lore. You've got a lot of facts. 
that, you know, can't be controverted. You can't have your Klingons playing with lightsabers. This is, this is not going to work. <laughs> you got to stick to the lore of the universe. So how did you, how did you manage to make your game so engaging and also stick to what's true and, um, and what the, the player has to do these things because those really happen? So a, a big focus of ours is trying to, you know, balance kind of keeping the flow or the ambience while still trying to hit, you know, educational goals. So we really didn't want this to feel like a chore to play. We didn't want this to be given to students in school or at home and having to go, oh, we have to play this game. So we want to be that it's experience where you're really enjoying yourself and you happen to learn something about science while you're playing. Mm -hmm. So to do that, we tried to make it that, you know, once you get past the tutorial, you're, we're really trying not to interrupt the flow at all. So we're trying to make it that we're not having, we're not quizzing, we're not making you learn keywords or memorize anything as you're going, but you're learning through play and giving you the option to read further when you want. So, you know, for example, for the learning outcomes, we've built it as a trophy menu. So when you solve a puzzle, you get a little trophy and at any point you want, you can go and you could view that trophy and that will give you a lot more information if you really want to read up on it. Some students love to do that and some people like to read up on it right away and some people want to read all of them once they're done the game. And we, so we wanted to make sure that at no point were we interrupting that. And we really got into little details of even with the, with the sound design that, you know, whether you have a success in, or failure and where you click, we didn't want a big like ah, sound to like take you out of the vibe of the music or annoy you if you keep on pressing wrong. We wanted it to, you know, just kind of lightly be implemented in there and, you know, try to balance the difficulty of the puzzles. And if you need a hint, you don't have to go to the pause menu and get into the hint menu, but just kind of click a quick button and have the hint pop up and then you could close it again. We just wanted it always to be flowy and smooth. Yeah, and one other really important aspect for us was using visuals that are engaging and create this fantastical world that is just a joy to explore. And to keep this balance between learning and ambience, we try to use visual metaphors and analogies to basically allow players to learn without realizing that they are learning. So we had a lot of fun using elements that you know combine all of these abstract, complex concepts in science with things that everybody can relate to, things from everyday life. So for example, if you have the mitochondria that is probably very famously known as the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> so we wanted to create this industrial setting and the complexes would be de depicted as huge machines inside a factory and this really industrial sounding music, thanks to Jamie. And, um, and, so, and then inside you have this process that is called the electron transport chain. And this is a scientific name for a process that generates the energy for the cell to survive and for us to be able to do the things that we do. And so we thought it would be fun to depict it as a literal chain that transports electrons from one end to the other. Um, so the idea was basically that even without using words or showing things to memorize, we can convey information without interrupting the flow of the game. And even if a player doesn't have any background on it or doesn't know about it yet, they might recognize it later in school. And for example, when they learn about the electron transport chain, they might remember, oh, there was a chain and it was transporting electrons and the cell was generating energy. Um, and I think the other thing is a big part in balancing this was also really making sure the atmosphere is right, that we have a good sound design, we have interactions that are really intuitive, don't take you out of the game, and basically put it all together to bring the word, kind of the world to life and make it as immersive as possible. I think it's very interesting that you, your goal was to make it feel fun to learn, fun to be in the cell, and you're associating this peaceful, 
um, you know, uninterrupted, nice little puzzle um, experience. Does that map to what you think of cells in real life? Like when you're studying them and you're thinking about them? Absolutely. So for me, when I started studying science, I had no idea how exciting every, actually everything is. And I think it was the first time I started doing microscopy. So really looking at the cells through the microscope, seeing how they move, how everything changes and how they divide. This is, by the way, what I study. Mm -hmm. um, so that is actually really what was a huge inspiration for the game. So the dynamics, the colors, all of this is totally inspired by microscopy and by my research. <laughs> I'm a biochemist in my imagination is very, very, everything's fast and, and competitive. And um, mm -hmm. my game is, is a real time strategy game and yours is a peaceful walk through a lovely puzzle. <laughs> Interesting. So Jamie, I'm really intrigued by this idea of how you set the player at ease with a science game. A lot of people come to a science game and they're like, oh, I didn't study this. I don't remember anything from school. But, but if you can draw them in, make them feel at ease. How did you do that? What did you, what did they say they wanted Beata and Matt when they're talking to you? Well, yeah, I, did, I don't know if I thought of it as putting them at ease so much as having them enter the world where it really felt like, you know, a game where you're having the experience of exploring rather than learning. And I think through exploration, we learn things. So, you know, Beata and Matthew had shown me, you know, some of their aesthetic for it and, um, you know, with the idea that fascinates me with Mike, especially with the name microscopia, playing around with the idea of things on macro versus micro or large versus small, you know, for us, the earth is massive to the sun. It's a little pebble orbiting it, you know, same thing with, for us, a cell is smaller than we can fathom, but on an atomic or molecular level, a cell is like a massive, vast universe filled with, you know, atoms and molecules. So instead of thinking of the cell as this tiny thing, for our character who, you know, it's a customizable character, but the default character is sort of blue haired as we see Beata right now. <laughs> Compared to that character, the cell is this large space that she gets to explore. And the game starts with her floating down in this membrane overlooking this vast expanse of cell. So I wanted the music to take on that sort of majestic, fantastical adventure kind of quality of exploring the cell and then, you know, as Beata and Matthew explained to me some of the science where, you know, again, floating down in the membrane, so something kind of more airy and atmospheric. Then, you know, when she steps out of the membrane, hopefully I'm not spoiling anything, but she ends <laughs> up in the, in, the, in the cytoplasm, which is, I believe, sort of a wet liquid kind of part of the cell. And so I, I kind of played with more of a sort of wet, lush kind of sound. And then as Beata already talked about, the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, industrial. So I wanted this mechanistic machinery kind of feel to it um, that I think would accentuate what they were talking about. And then, uh, you know, in the mitochondria, they saw that the player solves a series of puzzles that then when they return to the cytoplasm, um, they now have s completed a process, I believe is ATP synthase, I've learned from the game. And with that, now they can power the motor protein. So when the player returns to the cytoplasm, the music from the cytoplasm has been affected by this sort of mechanistic quality of the the mitochondria and trying to kind of maybe unconsciously give this player a, a, a sense of progression like i've been here before but now it feels different because we've accomplished all this and then right after that you get the stinger of we won victory so you know in, in a fairly condensed form having that structure to the experience of the game and having those aspects of the music you know 
really heightened some aspects of the science of, okay, mitochondria, mechanistic, cytoplasm, liquid, wet, floating in the membrane. Maybe that's a bit more just kind of the Hollywood version of how the game starts. But other than that, between the gameplay and the science, having them all work together and having the music support that experience. That is really neat. I'm going to have to listen to the game a couple more times. <laughs> yeah. We're also planning to release the soundtrack soon. So ah, yes. hopefully everyone can listen to it then. Fantastic. <laughs> we should say again, the game is on, on Steam. Where did you release it? Android and, um, and iPhone, as well as on Itch. So we can play it on the computer or on your phone. Itch, itch.io, awesome. And Beata Science Art is your itch name, is it, or is it Microscopia? The itch name is Beata Science Art, and then Microscopia is the game associated with the account. So if, if anyone wants to check it out, feel free. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, we'll, we'll say it again at the end or on, the, on the thing. So yeah, I, I think it's really neat. I feel like, um, just add on to that, like, we say the powerhouse of the cell and we talk about this chain, but your puzzles really get people thinking about what's happening inside a single protein. You know, you really get this idea of there's some, there's some weird, some yellow little particles that we think of as electrons or protons that we know that they're moving through this chain. And I think you come away with this expanded idea of what's going on inside the powerhouse you, you don't think of it anymore as a giant mechanical powerhouse you you've associated now these tiny particles that are weird and don't have any shape so you do a really good job of taking what people know but then giving them this more complex scientific idea of what a protein really is and i really love that and the blending of the puzzle and the and the ambience together is really nice so now the person who made it all actually happen <laughs> Michael, would you like to tell us about, you know, we're sounding like, oh, lovely, pretty, wonderful. How did you, uh, how'd you make it happen? Well, um, let's see. When, when I joined the project sometime in last August or September, the game had already been through a fair amount of development and iteration. They just wanted a few bugs fixed over a couple of weeks. And the basic systems were all in place. And most of the objects had that core identity. But um, the implementations, implementations of all the systems were a little bit concerning. <laughs> and overall, it was good to have something to build off of. And I was able to actually make it through that first bug list in a couple of weeks. And then they asked me to stay on and keep working on additional features and through the other issues. So I started refactoring during that initial bug fix uh, section. And I found out how tightly coupled <laughs> that whole project was. So in a lot of cases, I was focusing like, uh, it, it was pretty much a balancing act of trying to figure out if it would be more efficient to completely rip out a system or if I should be salvaging it. And there's still some systems that I would like to remove and replace. And even my own implementation of the movement could have used a bit more iteration, but game development uh, time is not, on your side really <laughs> it was it was one of the major challenges for the project because they were already pretty close to over budget um by the time they had even brought me on um and i <laughs> what was that aren't we always isn't over budget <laughs> yeah <laughs> you do the game's never finished but it's got to be done at some point 
But um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of, though, in the project is the visual quality we were able to get with essentially non-existent loading times. Um, as we were initially working on it, I realized there were textures that were at um, wonky sizes, causing issues with compression. So fixing that was saving space. Um, then we realized there was a ton of dead space still. And we just iterated through that. We split everything up into tiles. And then this lowered the file size, improved the render quality. And I had been thinking about trying to build a streaming solution just in general out of my own curiosity outside of the project um, for a while. And then I used uh, the project as my excuse to build up the first prototype for that type of system. And then I built some tools around it to make it more usable. And eventually the resolution on all the tiles got increased again. Um, so the size went up a little bit, but we ended up with like this beautiful quality that we have and it thankfully runs well. <laughs> yeah, we've said this separately a hundred times that we're so lucky to have had Michael join the team because he took this, you know, we had a cool proof of concept and then turned it into a polished playable game um, and would implement, you know, for everything that he would implement or fix, we'd come up with three more things immediately and he would meet just right away like, got it. And he would already be working on it. So we're super lucky to have had him join the team. I'm super lucky that there was actually a good idea in there to salvage. Because, <laughs> like, the core of the game's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. This is normal. Prototyping, iteration, definitely true. And if you can make high, better art, you know, you're everyone's hero. And especially a cell biologist hero, you know, higher resolution is going to be, yeah. So we're, we're shifting a little to, um, you know, we, we talk about development and um, what bugs you had to fix. Um, you really find out wh what you're, what bugs you're trying to fix or what you're trying to go for when you start playing with your target audience. So when you start playtesting your game, you need to choose, you know, figure out who is your target audience? How do you find them? And then, and then the next part of the whole question is like, what did you find that you needed to fix with the, with that target audience? But first, Tell us, what were you trying to achieve? Who who are you making this game for? And what effect were you trying to have on them? Yes, so our main target audience was, um, or is middle to high school students, especially female students who may have never been engaged by science before. And we want to give them an opportunity to explore this magical world inside the cell. We want them to re relate scientific learning with enjoyment and hopefully inspire a new generation of really creative scientists. And I think a big part in this decision was the way the project was initiated. So we, it started out because we received a small outreach grant from the If Then Initiative, which is a project that aims to inspire middle school girls to pursue careers in STEM or in science. And so we were thinking of girls who don't fit the scientific stereotype. So girls who love, who are creative, who love art, and they may not see themselves as scientists because they have multiple passions. And it was really important for us to use these engaging visuals and to highlight a female character that you can customize so that the girls can see themselves as the hero in the story and use their creative thinking to overcome these obstacles and solve these puzzles. And yeah, so that was our main target audience. And we also, of course, wanted to make sure that the game is fun and engaging to, to any age group and any gender identity. And so we made sure, like you said, to play test with a wide variety of people with a broad group of you know all ages, all backgrounds. And we learned so much during the playtesting. It's been a really interesting adventure for us. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just to, to compliment that, you know, in a way when I was working on this, I kept on trying to think of, you know, what would childhood me have approved? 
So I, growing up, I loved puzzles, was not a fan of school. I wasn't a fan of any traditional learning environments. I was stubborn, didn't like to be told what to do. And so when we were working on this, I was like working towards making this something fun for people who had maybe been deterred by science previously because it hadn't been introduced to them in the right way, you know, where I didn't learn it that I loved science until I was way older. And I think if there was something more games when I was younger that were kind of meant to create that spark, I may have found a passion much earlier in my life. Did um, did you have evidence when you were watching people play it that uh, the kids like changing their hair color? Do you think they were more engaged because they could, you know, change the colors of the avatar? Um, yeah, so that was actually funny because as the project was kind of our ideas were growing and we had a limited amount of time and funding, <laughs> we're thinking, okay, what's the most important thing to keep? What do we prioritize? And for me, the character customization was always really important because when I personally play a game, it's always the most fun part for me, you know, to create a character and really be able to identify with the character before starting the game. And so we decided to keep in, in the character customization to give people the opportunity, but then seeing people play it and, you know, interact with it, um, we loved seeing how excited they got when they were able to make the character look like themselves and, you know, be the hero in their story. <laughs> and, and, e and even when they didn't want to make it look like themselves, they, you know, they were always having fun playing around yeah. with it. As soon as they realized that they could customize it, you see their face light up and like, oh, and then and they start getting really into it. And then by the point that they've done all that, now they're invested. Like, mm -hmm. I spent all this time playing this character. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, okay, and then once you did start playing testing, what what things popped up? What were those things you went back to Michael and Jamie with? The, you know, like oh, we've we, things we have to fix now that we've seen humans interact with our software. So, I mean, a lot of things, but I'd say the uh, the biggest one for us that kept on you know popping up was balancing the accessibility and the difficulty. So the first version we made was just way too hard. Uh, we initially pictured this game with very no, like for no language or very limited language, um, you know, like a big inspiration from Samrost where you really just kind of figure it out as you go. But for an educational game, it can't be so difficult that people will give up. And so we had to remember, okay, this isn't a game that's designed for, you know, people who are super in the puzzles. It's a game that's designed for people who maybe are getting introduced to puzzle games. So, you know, making it so you see the objective the whole time, adding hints, Putting in words that explain what you're trying to do were all things that, as we went, said, okay, this needs a little bit more explanation. Okay, this puzzle, no matter what, is just too hard. My gamer friends can't figure it out. So <laughs> we're going to have to make this puzzle way easier. So there's a lot of iter iterations of figuring out little things like that, as well as accessibility of this has to be easier to click. Nope, still has to be easier to click. <laughs> and keep on doing that so that you're not frustrated trying to grab things. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher list. And you can get it for free. Check it out.
can say I originally tested my game in classrooms. And when I tested it outside in expos for the first time, it was way too hard. <laughs> Those, the captive audience students, they, they would play anything. They would, they would play an encyclopedia and figure out how to play that um, because they were just didn't want to sit and still and listen. Who does? Yeah. But um, once I started playing it in expos, I, it got a lot easier. Fewer things to do in the scene at once was, was key for me. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, like all of the usability things that you don't necessarily think of, especially on your first time making a game like um, like phones are vastly different sizes. <laughs> You're going to have people of uh, different age groups that have different incomes. And, you know, some of them are going to be on a very small phone that it's like, well, clicking this is difficult <laughs> um, because I'm also clicking other things with it and or it's a little bit difficult to be accurate for people with like bigger fingers and just like all of that usability um, and accessibility um, issues that you run into or. Yeah, and releasing for phones is ambitious. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> you know, an itch game is huge and then putting it on a phone is pretty amazing. Yeah, the, the iOS or, or the Android version was actually easier to develop than the uh, than the WebGL version was, but that's <laughs> a whole big long conversation we could have on it. The iOS version um, was being a little bit difficult on the on the memory side, but we eventually figured it out. <laughs> yeah, having a very patient, systematic developer is very important when you start releasing things as apps on phones. Systematic and patient. Um. Yeah, I, um, sorry, I went off on a whole like uh, <laughs> memory trip there for a minute. But um, so you, you had this idea in your head and your mind, and then it became more and more narrow as you made a game. How did, how did the game change from beginning to end? And um, what happy strings do you see in it that, that remain? Great question. Yeah, for us, we, of course, initially plan to make the game much bigger. So we wanted to cover more areas of the cell. There's so much more than what, what is there to explore at the, at the moment. We wanted more character customizations. We wanted items that are unlockable and things you can collect. And the thing was going in, Matthew and I, we didn't have any experience in game development, really. And probably like many other projects, it ended up becoming bigger than expected. And because we were just a very small team, so our core group was really just the four of us here on the panel. And we really had to reassess how much we can do with the time and the funding we have available. And we really prioritize which aspects to focus on for the first chapter, at least for the game. I think um, the most challenging part for us throughout the process was the technical side of the development. So first, it took us a couple of tries to find the right programmer for this project. So we realized a little bit too late that our first programmer wasn't the, a perfect fit for this. And we were really lucky to find Michael, who was really able to create this great and polished experience. And I think. Also, thanks to these challenges, we had a much more hands-on role in the development. So each of us has learned so much during the process. And I think the reason why everything worked out so well in the end is because each of us were really excited and passionate about this project. So we're really lucky. Yeah, I definitely think it was a good thing that y'all remained a bit more hands-on throughout the project too, because <laughs> like you mentioned times, definitely uh, something the project did not have an ample supply. And it meant I was able to iterate faster and make sure the important elements were easily tunable in the editor for Matthew and you, and then through, uh, and nothing strayed too far from like those uh, initial design goals. Yeah, I think that's really important. 
for other scientists to know or other people who are interested in making games about science or about anything you don't understand yourself. You really need an expert that you're continually iterating with. And, um, and we all need to know iterative design is so important. A lot of us think like we're going to make it right the first time and we never do. And if you don't make something first, you don't, you can't make it better. You can't move on. Yeah. Yes. Iteration is, it's my bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all of us. I really think you need a, you need a team that can communicate well, like you guys do. Cause if you can't say, uh, this isn't working or I need you, I this is what we have in code and you need to come up with a, a solution. Like, please be able to find a way to make what you want with what I actually have coded so that you know, we can meet our deadline. You know, that's, that's a not easy conversation to have. Yeah. And especially for yeah. us, uh, just to quickly add onto it for us, um, also really being able to trust Michael saying like, these are the things we want, how easy or how difficult is this? And it's not really intuitive for us if we are not developers. So really, it's really kind of a back and forth between, what we want and what's the most feasible way of doing it. And, it, we, and there was no, from my mind, there's no rhyme or reason. Like no. we give them a list and it's like, which yep. of these are, are easy and which of these are like, and some things is, oh, that's a 30 second fix. That's a week. And for me, yep. it's like, there's, I, I, I would have had no idea that the thing that seems to me easy is a week long project. And the thing that seems to be hard is a 30 second fix. So yeah, totally. Really true. One thing I kept stumbling on when I was looking for developers is they're like, oh, you're a scientist, you know everything. And, and they would assume they knew I was asking for something that's really hard. And I would have no idea. Like, no, I just need a lot of purple squares. You know, they don't have to have colliders, you know, whatever. Yes, it's, it's not easy to find. We all have different areas of expertise and they don't overlap and neither does our vocabulary, you know? Yeah, it's difficult, it's definitely difficult. Okay, that's awesome. So, um, was it difficult to convey your initial vision and your ideas for the game to each other before you had a game prototype? Like when you were really trying to start out, how did you get started? I can say on my end, it, it required a good amount of imagination when Beata and Matthew <laughs> first came to me, especially because this is my first time ever composing music for a game. I had just done uh, a workshop from NY with NYU to learn about screen scoring. So I was fresh out of that and wanting to apply what I'd learned. And, um, but yeah, the, I think in the initial meetings, they sent me sort of a PDF that we looked at together with uh, pencil sketches, descriptions of the science that I understand much better having played the game than I did when we kind of were talking about it. So good sign that the game is working. Um, but, you know, I, I understood the science well enough to, as I talked about earlier, kind of come up with the musical vibe of of each of the, the areas of the cell. Um, and yeah, I remember also uh, at one point, uh, Beata and Matthew made a, a Spotify playlist for me with, you know, music from other games as well as, you know, music from, you know, other records and such. And I asked them to kind of tell me what aspects of each of these they wanted to apply to the game and where they would apply so I could get even though the game wasn't in any playable form yet, it was more sketches and illustrations and a sense of Beata's, you know, artistic aesthetic, I could get an idea of what they wanted musically to kind of combine with what I was feeling from what I was seeing and what I was hearing from them. Uh, and, you know, game references, we uh, used, you know, Samaros 3, we've talked about a bunch. And uh, as far as how themes recur between different areas and levels, 
Um, Child of Light was a, a game we talked about mm -hmm. as far as finding ways to tie different areas, you know, back together and things kind of that you heard early on in the game coming back late in the game and how that would work. Um, and and one, one cool moment was um, in one of our Zoom meetings, I shared my computer audio and played around in a program called Logic Pro with Beata hanging out with me in the wee hours of the night. And I just queued up a synth called Omnisphere and she and I had a sound mining session where I just would queue up a sound, just play a bunch of things. We'd see if it inspired anything for us. And then I would just kind of flag it as, okay, this fits the mitochondria. This, this fits the cytoplasm. This kind of works for the whole game. We can use this as a connecting thread throughout. And then, you know, when I went to go compose, I had all these sounds flagged as things I could play around with. And, you know, serendipitously, additionally, um, our drummer, Ursai's drummer had recently recorded a video of him just drumming on a glass table that was next to his drum kit. And I was like, you know, I'm going to play around with this. And it ended up being one of the, the main sounds. And what's cool about that is, you know, with Omnisphere, any composer, any game can use Omnisphere, but getting to have that unique sound of my drummer's glass table, it's going to be a sound that no other game or film or media has. And I think it ended up being a unique part of the DNA of the game. So happy we have that. <laughs> yeah, and Jamie was honestly super amazing at picking up the vibe of a level. So, you know, we'd show him a little bit of artwork, give him like a couple keywords, uh, like, you know, kelp forest. And then and we'd, we'd just like, give him like a couple words. And then all of a sudden, like he would just, you know, he'd just be nodding his head, ask a few questions and, and all that. And then he'd come back to us the next day with something just absolutely perfect, you know, especially like the mitochondria sound with, with the drumming. We'd had a conversation. We didn't, we didn't make, we didn't make it come to any conclusions at the end. We just kind of, it was the first time we had a nice long talk and he just comes back the next day. And he's like, how about this? And we listened to it and it's like, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> <laughs> just completely nailed it. <laughs> it was the most inspired, like, spontaneously i'd felt in a while so it's good for me too like <laughs> having like all right this is my project i gotta work on I, I can't just do anything i have to do kind of specifically within these constraints and just boom ideas so that's awesome i love it when the actual universe we're in is inspirational for fantastical moments <laughs> yeah um i i know michael was pretty much together when you got there but um were there aspects that you got to put in, like that that formed while you were in conversation? Yeah, like you said, everything was had a, that fairly clear vision. Um, so my focus was mostly on making it run well and making it easily modifiable. And those terms were already there, um, and they weren't difficult to adapt and keep track of. So that really helped me with understanding like the science and uh, making sure everything was still cohesive and communication was clear. And, um, you know, it's already good design to make systems easily modifiable, but there was uh, a balance of how simple or complex do I make something like, do I make something that you can do a lot with or how simple do I want to make it so that um, basically anyone can read the short tooltip in the editor for what a variable does and understand it and be able to use it properly. So whenever I would make something like a class, uh, I would write a short entry about what it is, how it's used, how everything interacts. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Matthew and Beata were keeping it in a wiki so that they could easily modify things. And just keeping that clear communication was something that was really important throughout it. Um, and I also made some shortish tutorials of how certain tools were used, both inside and outside of Unity, to achieve like a particular outcome, which I like to think it helped in the overall production process. And making those like 
actually got me interested in making some tutorial content on some other platform like YouTube at some point. So I'm hoping I can get to that sometime sooner rather than later. Yeah, we, we learn a lot about development mm -hmm. stuff from Michael. He, he'd, give, he'd tell us how to do something. And so the next time we, we wouldn't have to bug him about it and we'd try to do it. So it was really cool. And yeah. I didn't mind it. It's just like time. Time. We all have to do what we can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really true. It's great when, when uh, the developer can use Unity and let the designers um, do as much as they can inside of it. Yeah. So our final question is, you know, what were the lessons you learned and the biggest surprises or the most fun, memorable experience making Mescrop get together? Oh, I, I thought the whole project was great and I loved working with everyone. Um, but the biggest surprise that I had was that I didn't actually realize how fun it would be just working on like the optimization aspects of the project. That's good to hear. The <laughs> <laughs> real slog of the work. <laughs> yeah, if, if learning something new it's all, uh, that you haven't tried before. It's always worth it. What do you At think least once. Beata, like when you dreamt about making a video game, you know, when you were just, a, you know, Postdoc in a science lab. What what's the funnest, weirdest thing about the experience or the game that struck you? I think there are too many to name. I think the whole whole kind of thing of first learning how this works, learning how games work. Now when I play a game, I see it in a completely different light. And then also being able to, you know, find that team and you know collaborate in such an amazing way. So I, I wouldn't be able to tell you about one certain thing. I think every aspect of this has been really amazing. That's great. That's great. Any other memorable comments, or we we can um, we we do have time for questions and answers. I I want to make sure, uh, J Jamie. I, I know I know we had chatted earlier, and you had things you wanted to say. I I can go quick, but I mean, first of all, it's a great opportunity to give a shout out again to Michael because I think for Beata, Matthew, and me, this was for all of us our first time creating a game, I believe, and so I think that because of that, that sort of it being our first time made inspiration and just like bountiful like and it made it you know we had so many ideas and it was we were really just playing because anything's possible but i think then having at the end michael come in and kind of polish it and tighten it up was so crucial and um i was so so relieved when we found him it was amazing um but yeah i think as far as a lesson i learned it was more a lesson that i got to apply which was just as i had mentioned earlier the workshop i had done right before finding Beata and matthew to you know collaborate with um there's a guy named Tom Salta. I believe he did the Halo soundtracks and the Prince of Persia. And he said, decide who's in the band. And for me, I always like, all right, I could get a choir. I can get an orchestra. I'm going to have the Javanese gamelan. It's like, you know, and it's like, decide who's in the band. So I think it was an exercise in restraint as I was talking about like, all right, what are the sounds that are going to be in this sound world? And there could be little differences between areas, but, you know, finding that connecting thread of, what's going to be the sort of the sonic palette of this microscopia world and sticking to that. And, uh, and I think, again, as a lot of wise people would say, you know, constraints can inspire creativity rather than limit it. So uh, I thought that was a valuable application of that. And just really quick to say, you know, we, we sort of connected Beata Matthew and I at the height of the pandemic when sort of social life was you know not easy to come by so just having like eight hour zoom calls with people across the country who seemed like kindred spirits was so like life affirming at a time when gosh darn it i needed it and so to have something inspiring to work on and just to be be able to connect with them and i didn't get to meet michael until we actually got to the 
uh, release celebration. Then we hung out on Zoom with Michael for you know good you know seven hours as well. So just that kind of aspect of getting to you know meet kindred spirits through collaboration made life fulfilling at a time when it was harder to feel that way. And so I'm I'm really grateful to have had this project for that reason. Now it's it was it was really cool to have a group that you know we would we'd have a call be like all right Jamie we're serious twenty minute call. It would always be seven hours. It would always be seven hours at least. So it's really cool to have like a group where we, it was just a pleasure to work together. And, but like, on the other hand, when I think about like, uh, like the biggest thing that stuck out with this process was after all of these hours we spent on it, after me play testing this game hundreds, thousands of times, the big moment for me was having it tested at we're having it out at the Comic-Con Museum. So during San Diego Comic-Con, we had it at the Comic-Con Museum for students, kids to play. And this wasn't a classroom setting. This was, we were surrounded by some of the coolest activities out there. We're at a comic book <laughs> museum and there's, you know, a Star Wars cosplay thing next to us. There's a dinosaur thing next to us. There's all these activities and <laughs> kids were coming and they were playing our game and their parents were coming and they're saying, all right, you know, it's time to go you know, just finish this puzzle and the kid would find out how to solve the puzzle, not finish it and wander around the game because they were enjoying being in the game so much. And I'm sitting here like, I want to be looking at the dinosaurs. <laughs> like, so it was just so cool to see like, all right, like these kids like the game. They're choosing to play this game over other really cool stuff. So that was awesome. Um, yeah. And just uh, and now we're just, you know, we're looking, we're looking towards the future. You know, we want to be making new chapters and um we want to you know continue this this adventure so you know now we're just, you know looking for funding for new chapters hint hint everyone watching um <laughs> but yeah this we're we're just we're so excited because all these collaborators that we've have already said they want to work on this and we just say uh, we're we just now need the time to to put it all together because we're we have a lot of ideas yeah yeah and, and to piggyback on that, I just wanted to add quickly, if we get to, you know, do more chapters, I think it'd be awesome to also involve, I mean, there was one musical reference you guys gave me who we since befriended, who could be a composer for a future chapter. And also, I think given the, the game's mission to, you know, inspire women in STEM fields, but now we don't just say STEM, we say STEAM because of A for the arts. I think inspiring women also in music, I'm a little biased, but the arts with beautiful, <laughs> you know, artistic designs, I think. Uh, having some women composers and musicians involved with the team, I can hand over the reins completely to them on a chapter and and involve, you know, make the game even more collaborative as it expands and, um, you know, continue to in, in involve women and collaborate with women and elevate women in, in greater ways as well. Final yeah, that sounds amazing. Final words. Yeah, maybe another thing that we really want to say is that we hope that, you know, make it, Doing this experiment, making a game like this, we can inspire others to create games as well, because um, there's so many other fields, not only biology, but physics, engineering, math, and just, you know, together change the way we approach learning and education and use the amazing tools that we have to help people learn. And, um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a community of science game developers out there. There's communities of nature game developers out there. You can find us at sciencegamecenter.org. Um, we tweet at at SciGame, um, and uh, we're willing to help you find funding, help you uh, get a team group together, those kinds of things. You know what I love about this talk, right? Sure, this is definitely a game about, you know, 
getting women into steam but this like just listening to all of you is like a life-changing experience just for you for you all right like you could i could just see and feel your passion for from all of you even you melanie i see this passion even though you didn't work on this game you worked on another game but i just see like you all had some life-changing experiences and built some stuff and done some amazing things and i just think that is beautiful that's amazing that game yeah. looks very awesome Thank we you. still could talk. We still have some more minutes. We can we can still talk about stuff. Can awesome. you tell us about your game, Melanie? Sure. Yeah, I went through this experience in two thousand and eight. I was a postdoc in a biochemistry lab, and uh, a think tank in DC had a grant to make a game called Immune Attack. They were funded by the NSF, and it was a third-person shooter. And I saw it, and you were activating individual proteins. The proteins had names like ICAM and Calmodulin, and like. People are actually seeing proteins because normally no one knows what a protein does. Like the individual function of a protein isn't known. And in my game and in microscopy, you see cytochrome C, you see a protein doing a thing. Anyway, I found out that game taught a lot. The kids, the, my, my controlled study, everything was really great. And then I did a follow-up game. It's a real-time strategy game called Immune Defense. And it's... Um, you know, as hardcore wow. RTS as I could get. <laughs> Hard, hardcore RTS? So are these all on Steam? Or? No. Uh, um, where is my game? <laughs> <laughs> Itch.io. Yeah. Immune defense game. You can find it. Okay. Um, it, yeah. If you Google immune defense game. My company's Molecular Jig Games. Yeah, That's and so awesome. I've been through this. When anyone does a science game, they tell they come and tell me like, "Oh, we heard of another science game." That's how I met Beata and the team. That's amazing. Well, after this, after we end the broadcast, don't leave because I want to talk to you both a little bit. I want to talk to you all. Um, so any, so the game's released, right? Yes. Yes. Microscopy is released, and but you're working on future episodes. We're yeah. We at this point now are at the um, kind of. We, we finished it and we we're watching people play it and we're taking notes and now we're saying, all right, we already know what we want for future chapters because when we originally developed, when we originally made the plan, we thought it was going to be a much bigger game and had to become more realistic as we learned how hard it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we have more levels planned already and now we're looking for funding to fund those levels because we... We went over budget. Well, then we just so <laughs> happened to have a talk that just talked about government funding. It just yeah, I, I, so I watched that. That was you super, watched that. Yeah, she, yeah. She's Rachel's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah this really is amazing. In that one too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely listen to that one. Where where's money come from? It comes from trees. I mean, that's where paper's <laughs> made from, right? So the the NIH has a grant that's for games and for interactives. That's in September. It's a small business innovation research grant. The NSF has one that's due in January. That's also um, SBIR, but also um, there's one that's purely academic if you have a, a university collaborator um, mm. that's um, uh, informal learning. So th there's places, and the Department of Ed also funds interactives for school. Yeah. It's just really hard to get such a group of people together, a developer that's willing to learn to speak cell biology and a cell biologist that's willing to learn to speak, you know, development. Mm -hmm. sharp. And this doesn't happen. This magic that you witness right here doesn't happen very often. It's fleeting. 
and making a game is because uh, I've designed a game in the past and I, it was released in 2011. But man, it took like a year and a half to design. I went through three different programmers and I was like, after that game was done, I'm like, I don't even care anymore. I'm not doing this. <laughs> but I got, re- I got it released, right? It released. It did terrible. Nobody liked it. And uh, I was like, I'm done with that, right? A lot of I do want to know what the game was, though. Yeah. So it was called Pyroclysm. It was a mobile game. It was basically like, I don't even know if you can get it anymore, but if you could get it, because the resolution at the time, like it would be like this big on your screen because the resolution <laughs> of the screens at the time, it was basically like a missile command sort of game, but asteroids came down and it was just way too hard and grindy for people. And honestly, I did. I was done. I didn't want to like rebalance it out or anything. I was like, I don't even care anymore. I was done with it. But I would advise people not do that. What I did, right? Do not get frustrated like that and just because um, I had programmers reprogram the game three separate times and because they didn't like the other programmer and it was just an ordeal. I was not a fan of it, but I wish I would have done it a little different. I would have wish I would have went in and rebalanced it and done some stuff. Um, it would have been a little bit more of a positive experience for me. But thank you all so much for coming in. Yeah, don't leave when we end the broadcast. I'm going to, uh, I just want to shout out Tripwire Presents. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. Also, join our Discord, discord.gg slash business. Thank you so much for this talk. This is amazing. Thank you, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.